Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. The Brighter Side is brought to you by Audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com slash brighter side for your free trial. Everybody, what's going on? This is the brighter side here, and uh, we're doing something we never done before this week. We're kind of uh, taking a, a collection of two older episodes, our immigration episodes from uh, a year and a half back, and it seems oddly relevant to bring back the, a best of from that episode. So you're, we're going to hear Ragnar and and Nikki talk about their experience coming to America. One's a journalist, another one's a scientist. Uh, we're going to talk to Mazda Brony, a very accomplished Muslim comedian, a great man. You should listen to all of his work. He's got a great movie on. He's in uh, Superior Donuts with uh, with Jermaine Fowler right now. You should go check that out. And then we're going to close it off with uh, probably one of the smartest people I know, Mr. Danny Bedrosian, a keyboard player for uh, Parliament Funkadelic. And kind of just get our hands on what it is going on right now with this whole immigrant situation and with the the Muslim situation, and I wanted to, the main reason I wanted to do this is because I'm working on a, on another special with Jeff, and immigration is going to be our topic. And I've been doing a lot of research, and it's you know incredibly depressing and crazy what happens to these people, and and you think that it's just you know you hear about the wall and you hear about the Muslim ban, but it's not just these people. It's a it's lots of other people. I went to these immigration shelters in Austin, and I went to these other shelters in uh. San Benito, which is a little town right outside of Brownsville. And I went to another shelter in Matamoros, Mexico, for people who get kicked out. And, you know, I met the only place where I actually met Mexicans was in Mexico. Uh, the shelters in America, we don't we don't let Mexicans stay there. We kick them right back out. And the way we kick them out is cruel and unusual. I don't know what you know about this, but. When they usually, when they kick someone out of the country, they'll do it at three o'clock in the morning on the opposite side of Mexico. So like if you came in through Matamoros, which is on the east side of Mexico, they'll drop you off in Tijuana on the west side of Mexico at four o'clock in the morning with no money and no passport, no ID, just your clothes on your back. And then you got to figure out how to get back to the other side of Mexico. And it's just cruel and it ruins these people's lives. And 
a lot of people who escape from Mexico to America are escaping the cartels. And I talked to an immigration lawyer who uh, he'd had multiple clients who had been deported uh, get killed the moment they went back. You know, so it's very hard for these people. I I spoke to uh, these at the, at this woman from a country called Eritrea. I don't know if I've talked about this before. She's 20 years old. There was five of them, but we were only talking to one of them. And how she came to this country was the most heroic, heartbreaking story I've ever heard. She left Eritrea, which is on the eastern part of Africa, uh, right next to uh, Ethiopia. And it is a bad place for a woman to be a woman. And so she had to leave. And so she left and she walked through Eritrea, walked through Ethiopia, walked through the Sudan, like that's a couple month long walk, and then got to Libya, which was controlled by ISIS and was thrown in the ISIS prison, uh, you know, just brutalized as the nicest way I could bring that up and then escaped the ISIS prison. Worked for a year to collect money in order to take a boat trip to Sicily, which was covered with people, uh, literally sleep people sleeping on top of people. Ten people died on the boat ride over through the Mediterranean. Took another boat ride to Spain. Took another boat ride to Honduras. Lord knows where she came up with the money because they won over $2,000 for each of these crowded boat rides. And it don't cost that much money for a comfortable airplane seat. So it's very... It's crazy what these people are forced to deal with. And when they get to Honduras, guess what you're doing? You're hitchhiking, you're walking, you get to the southern border of Mexico, which is no picnic to go through. You got to go through Guatemala to get to that. And then you hitchhike and walk all the way through Mexico, the entire length of Mexico, just to when you get to America for some freedom, finally, after this year-long journey of just getting destroyed emotionally physically and you get to america and the moment the first thing that happens to you is you're arrested and put in jail and it's still better than the whole trip and you know they're they're put in jail for six months a year with detention center i call it a jail because you're wearing fucking stripes and you're being you're locked up so i'll call it a jail and so then you're dealing with this and you have to write these shelters multiple times to get accepted in order to start living there for nine years and these shelters are as good as they can be you know they're not great there's not much funding for them uh, a couple of them i saw were, were really dirty uh one of them was nice and when i described it as nice someone else was like what well, you call that nice and it was crazy, you know, and, and then it wasn't Mexicans in there. It was people from Eritrea. It was, I met a Ukrainian sex slave. Uh, in, in order to stay, you have to become part of the culture and you have to like learn how to be an American. You have to learn English. And this Ukrainian woman, she couldn't learn English. So they, what they had to do is they taught her Spanish. And since she was so close to the border, the Mexican border, she was able to get a job and slowly work herself into being an American citizen. And you know, it's not, it's not just the criminals that are, it's like there are criminals. Yes, the cartels exist. Uh, ISIS exists. But there are a lot of innocent people that are getting the shit kicked out of them because of 
how scared we are of a few people. 7% of the Muslim world is radicalized. That's not that many when there's 1.6 billion of them. So, you know, you got to think about what you do to help everyone else. And that's what this country is about. And we can either, if you want to police the world, then you also have to help the world. And you can't just be throwing people back into Mexico or into Mexico. We've been throwing Haitians into Mexico. We've been just dumping people off into Tijuana. This Casa del Magrante in Tijuana is overflowing with people from other countries. There's 30 languages being spoken there, and no one knows how to talk to anyone. And it's a fucking disaster. And more and more people are scared to even try to come to America these days. And we just need to find a way to get past what's going on with our leadership and and, uh, fight to keep an open heart and help these people who need help. Uh, So to give you guys a good example of what immigration can do for this country and who some good immigrants are and uh, we we're we're gonna revisit some of our past interviews with and the Ragnar and Nikki and Maz and Danny Bedrosian and learn a little more and uh, hopefully you guys can uh, I don't know talk to your friends about it talk to your dim-witted friend not dim-witted but people who are close-minded you know and think that you know it's all for our safety and you you know there's other ways to stay safe we you know there's bad people in America we have our own bad people bad, bad people are gonna exist. You got to find out how to help, how to not make more of them and help people. I don't know. This is very upsetting for me. I'm trying to get over it all. Let's, uh, sorry for the bummer opening, but let's, uh, let's get moving into some, uh, some good time talking. Hey everybody. How you doing? Thank you. This is the brighter side. I'm Ed Larson, Amber Nelson, Cena, John, Mary Kelly with us, of course. And joining us today, we are talking about immigration and my two personal favorite Immigrants, citizens of the world, Ragnar Eggleson and Nikki Athiasto. Athanasiado. Athanasiado. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Nikki is a scientist and Ragnar is a journalist. Nikki, uh, what kind of science do you practice? Hi. Uh, I'm a molecular biology, and I'm now working at New York University. Fuck yes. <laughs> Has anyone said that after you said you're a scientist? Just like, fuck yeah. Versions of it, yeah. <laughs> I think your husband probably says that, right? It's like, tell me you're a scientist. Ah, uh, surprisingly not. No. <laughs> Skulk, come on, be a better man. Yes, and you've heard him at the end of our shows many, many times. Nikki is the beautiful wife of Skulk, the hulking Steve Pacheco. Uh, and so we're talking about immigrants today and uh Cena immigration is a main a big part of your life both your parents are immigrants and my brother and your brother yeah oddly enough it was it's always interesting when my brother and I would travel abroad together my passport says born in the United States of America. His passport says born in Iran. And when we go through the checkpoints, I go through and I smile and I crack a little joke at the security person. And then I'm like, look out for this guy. And I point to my brother. And they actually do look out at him. And they, 
and they punch his like passport in the machine and they like frown at him like someone poked him with a stick in his tummy one time and like really? no, no. <laughs> but he gets so upset with me because they really throw him under the bus <laughs> I mean it's on his passport yeah, yeah throwing him under the bus but it's really fun uh, it's like my little little brother thing to do <laughs> but it is it is a big issue especially with the election now and immigration being a huge issue um, you know later we're, we're also going to talk about Syria and uh, an immigration issue that coming from America we also have immigration coming from you know both our borders uh, in Canada and in Mexico but I think today it's it's about who are the people that are Im- immigrating to this country you know yeah. who are these people what are they doing they're not all bad so they're they're mostly awesome. Yeah, and it's like we have we got to look at at what great things immigrants bring to this country, and we are a country of immigrants at the end of the day. You know, unless you're a Sioux Indian and Altuya, you know, we're all immigrants. Yeah, and so it's a very important to remember that that's what this country comes from, and that's what we are, and it's on the Statue of Liberty. And the moment you stop letting immigrants in, this fucking place is going to go in the trash. Yeah. So, and I think it's like balancing. There are, of course, security matters. There are crazy things happening around the world. Amber, you, met, you were mentioning stuff before the show. And it's like, how do we balance, you know, the security of America and uh, our fellow citizens around the world with being open and welcoming of people that are running from a terrible situation that need refuge? Well, you guys necessarily weren't running from a terrible situation. You were no. just coming to America, correct? That's true. You've yeah. never seen the weather in Iceland. It's horrible. That <laughs> was a horrible situation. Well, isn't Iceland supposed to be all beautiful and Greenland's all, all icy? They it's, mixed it up because they did it on purpose, right? A long time ago? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a story. But, I mean, on some like sliding scale, though, where they're all both pretty much at the bottom end of the Celsius. Yeah, are the women beautiful? I imagine Icelandic girls are really beautiful. I don't know. It's, it's all He's good. sick of them. Beautiful women everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good way to put it, Ragnar. There are beautiful women everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nikki, you consider yourself a citizen of the world, you were telling me. I do. Instead I of an American. You're not an American citizen? I'm not. And I'm a here on a visa. you so here on a visa? So I'm a visitor here. I'm working on getting my green card now since I married the ama- amazing Skalk the Hacking, who is uh, born and raised here. Does <laughs> uh, it get more American than Skalk the Hacking, by the way? I've been here in the States for eight years and before that I was in the in Britain in Scotland to be precise for uh, seven years all in all the reason I have been traveling is uh, science and uh, I started from Greece I did my undergrad there and then I was taken by the science and the new discoveries and I wanted to go to places where I can do amazing stuff and uh, of course when I left Greece was not in the financial situation it finds itself now it was not so bad but we never had the money to really support uh, cutting edge research there is amazing research happening in greece but just because of my speciality molecular biology that was always a little too too hard for me to do in Greece. Eddie had to move a lot of times from molecular biology as well. Yeah. He had a tough time finding a home. Yeah, and there wasn't a good weed dealer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not kidding about scientists. That's like as sciencey as you get, molecular biologists. Yes. yes. Oh, no, absolutely, man. We're pulling in the class, Ragnar. <laughs> tough it up. Right. What was the Write paper? something. <laughs> what was the paperwork like to get to America for you? 
Yeah, I have to say, because I talk, I have many friends that are from here and are also from all over the world, not all of them scientists. I, it was easy for me because uh, we have uh, universities that make special deals with the government, so we are a little bit... Uh, of a special pool of people that uh, get brought in the states. Universities deal with all uh, the bureaucracy. And what I have to do is show up in the embassy in Athens for one day, go through interviews. It's not necessarily pleasant. It's not unpleasant either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was not too bad, I have to say. Oh, because uh, education, the university takes care of it. Yeah, That's because we're considered specialty workers. Actually, maybe the visa that I came in with is the same visa we share with models and top athletes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, what was the most intrusive question that you think that they asked you that maybe stru- did anything strike you as, as strange? Not really. Yeah, they weren't no, like molecular was- biology, like more like bioweapons. No, they didn't say that. No, today. not no, at no, all. No, not at all. Okay, good. Not from Greece. No, not They're from They're still Greece. throwing rocks over there. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> Ragnar, now, so you're here as a uh, food journalist, yes? What was... um, yeah, working in marketing now, though, but with okay. alongside the food writing. That's yeah. great. So what was your uh, paperwork like to get in here? Were they like, just write us a really good paper? Uh, it took it took us, I think, two years to get it initially. So I have a green card, and it's two things. You need the visa and you need the green card. These are like two separate application processes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually went through the whole thing, but me and my wife have been moving back and forth between Iceland and America and uh, just, you know, and Spain for a period and whatnot. Huh. So uh, we just kind of gave up hope after like a year and a half because this wasn't happening. But we actually messed up, and we had actually received like part of the uh, documents we needed. We just hadn't been informed, and it somehow like, you know, so it had expired and I had to do the whole thing over again. By that oh, time around, shit. it wasn't as... They could sort of still use the permission they'd already given me. So I went through it, the immigration process for the U.S. technically twice, getting, you know, a full visa and then uh, now a green card. So are you... Does a green card mean you're a citizen? I'm ignorant. I don't know. No, that's not a citizen. I, and I can actually not legally call myself a citizen anywhere. That's one weird thing I noticed. I think I put it up on Facebook or something. Like, they were... Like, they have these long guidelines on what not to do as a green card holder. And it's like, obviously, just don't get into trouble. But, like, they're so specific. It's like, in the United States of America, you can't beat your wife. It's all these, like, things, like, they're taking you really, like... You want to do that? Go to Canada. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't beat your wife publicly. All these, like, things, like, all right, I think, actually, like... Good, the way we people, do it back home is about the same. You know, some people don't know that. You know? Well, exactly. You know, I, people don't know that. You know, that. They were, the immigration yeah. people were getting reports one day. They were like, they just keep beating their wives all the time in the streets. Well, it's like someone's got to put that on the op- the welcome letter. Uh, <laughs> got to get that down. <laughs> just a little reminder. I mean, all some right. people don't know that, you know. Yeah. They just beat their wives all the time. And the wife's like, I'm just used to this. What's the problem? We yeah. have to go inside to do the beating? Oh! <laughs> it's so hot so in there. <laughs> uh-huh. no air I imagine, like, the quiz to get into America is like, do you eat chicken nuggets? <laughs> Check Yes or no. Do you like guns? Check yes or no. <laughs> so it's not just getting married that makes you an American citizen. There's actually no. a lot more than that. A lot of people talk about, you know, people get married to get their green card to become a citizen, but it takes more than that, correct? Yeah, lengthy process. You have to... Uh you have to go through all the applications. We had a lawyer working on it. It cost money, it cost thousands of dollars. That's And it's still really the only re, uh, recourse for someone like me because uh, they don't give away work visas that 
easily anymore. Mm-hmm. And those aren't really as good to have as like, you know, get a green card through marriage. Yeah. And uh, now I have the actual green thing. That you cool. you nice. can also apply for a green card uh, because you have already offered something like services to the American uh, people. Mm-hmm. For example, I know as a scientist, you can make a case by the publications you have and, you know, reference letters, academic reference letters, in essence, to show that you're really an asset for the country. Yeah. Right, that your brains will help uh, America. I mean, and there is a long tradition, even uh, for scientists in the States, has been a long tradition even going all the way back to Second World War, right? Uh, and recruiting all these amazing scientists for uh, the then Nazi all Germany. The, yeah, we got all the Germans. <laughs> and <laughs> you did great with that. Yeah, yes. Von Braun or whatever his name was. A whole bunch of them. There's what? a whole mess of them. What happens if you're born on an airplane coming o- across America and both of your parents are like from Norway or whatever? They're not American citizens that has come up i'm trying to remember there was a case of that happening of like children being born literally in the air and that means something there is a legal precedence for it air just, children yeah <laughs> mile high baby <laughs> citizens of the world so, yeah, you just get a passport everywhere apparently <laughs> despite a common misconception to the contrary birth aboard a u.s flagship airliner or military vessel outside of 12 nautical miles is not considered birth in u.s territory huh. oh wow oh. There goes my plan. So what is it? <laughs> you have to be within 12 nautical miles. Uh, so, But if what you're in the middle nautical? of the sea, like, where are you born? I guess you're born in the sea? Are you a pirate? Mm-hmm. Or is this a Popeye land? What, what's a nautical mile? Is that different than a regular mile? So many questions. Longer. 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 Oh, uh, you would list your place of birth as in the air. Whoa. Whoa. That's pretty fucking cool. Airborne. <laughs> like, where are you from, man? <laughs> Way up there, bro. <laughs> I've been high since I was born. <laughs> Goddamn Care Bear. <laughs> I remember um, I married uh, Nikki and Steve yes. Skulk, and oh. I rem- I uh, joined the Universal Life Church, and I remember thinking, I'm like, God, are they going to fuck with me because she's from Greece? And I remember when I went to uh, the New York office, I don't think I ever told you about this. No, you didn't. Uh, I, w- I went to the New York office to make you, they bring out the big book, the book. they make you sign it, and I'm like, all right, so I'm marrying this couple. Uh, and they're like, okay. And I'm like, and so and one of them's, you know, from Greece. And they're like, okay. And I was like, is there going to be a problem? They're like, no. Nah. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, you know you have to be like, is there going to be a problem? <laughs> like, no, no, it's fine. It's Maybe fine, that's sir. how I sounded. <laughs> uh, so what do you guys, th- this immigration thing is, is such a hot topic right now. As immigrants yourself, and uh, obviously you guys are the good ones. Uh, <laughs> but what do you guys think about this immigration debate that's happening in America right now? Do you guys feel I uncomfortable f- about the ranker? Yeah, I find it sad, and I don't. But it's sad for me to hear people being so powerfully ignorant mm. about the situation because uh, immigrants uh, are just people. And as, as Ed said earlier, it's a nation of immigrants and I think even me as a Greek and I identify very strongly with my heritage but as a Greek I come from immigrant family in Greece you know so I think people have been moving and people uh, and this has been natural and normal Uh, what is perhaps a little unnatural is the borders Mm-hmm. that confine people by force sometimes, by force is unnatural to me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, I completely understand that, you know, like a good household, the country has to have a, you know, a good economics of what comes in, what goes out, and this is practicality of the issue. But I don't see where this can allow hatred and uh, fear to f- creep in so much into the lives of everyday people. 
Yeah. It Ra- shouldn't be. Yeah, Ragnar, what are you? Well, I mean, there's a move against immigration, not just in the U.S. You see the same thing in Europe, obviously, and, and it's a hot conversation everywhere. Um, I think, though, like, the the world has changed it, it beyond it's never going to change back it's what what we have now is is what we're going to be looking forward to for, for the for the rest of forever uh, so um there's no getting around it the internet alone ensures that we're all going to be up in each other's business we borders are just going to get more fluid we're all moving in that direction so it's like people are afraid and it's like a knee-jerk reaction to like kind of want to go back to the good old days where those two words meant something Borders should be more fluid. It is going to happen. I would, I would like to, as an American, I would like to be able to go wherever the fuck I want. You know, I want to go. I want to be able if I want to go well, live yeah. live in India you for a year. Can. I can. As an American, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can do whatever we want. <laughs> we, we do I always have problems coming back. Oh yeah. Every time I leave the country, when I come back, I get detained for like an hour because of my criminal history. Oh, or is it just because? Is there going to be a problem here, sir? Is there- <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, I was arrested on a felony for uh, selling oh, marijuana back in the day. Back right. in the day, and even oh. though I got it expunged, every time I come to the city. They pulled me aside. They looked through all my shit. I got to repack it in the middle of the fucking airport. You know, and it's just like, and I like, I can't bring drugs. It's what a big pain in the ass. What if you did the priest caller next time you came back? And you like, did that. I'm a minister. Exactly. <laughs> you like, start bringing my minister Hello, card. My son. <laughs> I'm on a mission. Amber, what what is your? Um, you've traveled all over the world since you were a kid. What was? Do you remember any any memories of your experience traveling across borders or anything like that? Does your mom have any memories about that? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's important to travel. I think people traveling, it's it's um, it, it definitely opens your eyes to the world, and uh, you can take an idea and think about it from other points of view. I was just gonna say, you did traveling for you. You also saw like the darker side of the world. I mean, you saw the Saudi side, which is like you know yeah. could be really oppressive and stuff. Were and, you born there? I was. I was born there. I lived there for seven years. And then, wow. so you didn't see America till you were seven years old. Yeah, I didn't see any white people or anything till I was like seven. And wow. then I saw America, and I was like, whoa. That's why, like, um, I said we we, we no, said we're still we were, just Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we said we weren't going to talk about the Middle East stuff, but I'll just say this: like, yeah. I remember uh, I was shocked coming to America, and I was a child coming in, just kind of like, whoa, like women are in shorts and holding hands. <laughs> Uh, and smiling. It's very strange. Um, so I can't imagine what, like, a teenage teenager who's been living in Syria their whole life or living in Saudi and then coming to a Western world, whoa, it's very shocking. It's hard to assimilate mm-hmm. from that world, from that sort of, if you live under Sharia law, it's very different. So that brings up a good point, though. What about the cultural kind of shift that you both had to go through when you came to America? What was that kind of experience like? Were you guys just a me? Like, I know my parents, when they came to America, they loved KFC. Like, they hit the <laughs> KFC up real quick and then didn't stop for a long time. <laughs> First restaurant I saw in Africa, by the way. Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> Do you know First across- international fast food chain in Iceland, KFC. KFC? Really? Wow. It's across the, the street from the pyramids. Everybody takes a photo of the, the uh, not the pyramid, yeah, the pyramid, or the, uh, what's that big thing? The Sphinx. The Sphinx. It's across the street. Oh, I love KFC. it. In Iran just recently, they had, they had opened up the first KFC <laughs> in the whole country. The line was like around the block. People were constantly going there. The government came and shut it down because too many people were congregating around 
around one thing, and they don't like it when people have too much joy out of one thing. <laughs> yeah, like, why is it a stereotype that black people like fried chicken? It's across the world. It's literally, exactly. literally the most international food it in existence. Really, it's so good. That's such a great point. But tell me, what was the culture shock, or, or was it easy for you guys? Okay, I before here, I was uh, pretty for seven years in right. the UK. So actually, for me, the surprise was, perhaps I was too short-sighted, I think, that I imagined the British to be, the Americans and the British to be more similar, so I thought I got it. You know, I, I, I have it. <laughs> I'm good. Well, there are differences, but... There are weenies, right? <laughs> I think they drink more, too. And there is more of a pub culture. Yeah. Yeah. Here is more of a lad culture. I was actually shocked by how much of a macho culture the States have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fuck yeah. Because Is there exactly. a problem here? <laughs> because exactly, I was just expecting everything to be like uh, Britain, and uh, it, it's not at the same time. Hello, Nikki. Welcome to the United States. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, I was like, that. what can I say? But I do love how much more multicultural actually the state is. And actually, I find this one of the best qualities of the states, mm. how integrated other cultures are and the variety of cultures. And you can, I have met people from places that didn't even know they existed here. And for me, that's the best. And of course, I think being in New York makes a difference for that too. Of course. I mean, we live uh, in Astoria. That's the most multicultural neighborhood in the world. It's true. It's true. Ragnar, what about you? What was the culture uh, shift like for you when you came to America? You and your wife. So you guys were both together, like, in it to win it kind of thing. Yeah, and she has been an immigrant in Iceland. So, like, we've seen both uh, both countries do it and uh, felt it on our own skin. Uh, what you were talking about before, though, like, didn't you move quite a bit within the United States, Amber? I did, yeah. Uh, Louisiana, uh, sorry, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, then Louisiana. Okay, see, I was thinking about this the other day because... Um, it's it's how we perceive these places which have a number of borders within them. So, like, everyone in America talks about Europe as, like, yeah, I'm going to Europe. Like, they don't make a distinction often. Mm -hmm. But still, like, we think of these as radically different countries. Geographically speaking, you've covered much larger terrain just traveling within the U.S. Mm. Like, oh, I'm just yeah. saying, like, you know, you think of it as such, like, oh, you lived in Germany and France. It's, it takes up a tiny area on a map. It's like you can they just have take their own a train. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and then also about Africa. You went to Africa recently, and you think of that yeah. as just like almost like a country, like a which it obviously is. South isn't. Africa. We well, went to South, South Africa, which is its own thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But still, like within the continent, the people. Are I like saying I went to Africa more than I like saying I went to South Africa because it sounds more dangerous. But then I learned yesterday South Africa is the most dangerous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but right, hey guys, what was it like being in America, though, for you? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like one of the culture shocks was just this, like coming to a realization of just how large and diverse America is, because you think of it as one place. And my view has definitely been like completely New York. You know, I've been to California a little bit, but that's it. So like, I don't know, same, same as you. I don't really know like middle America. So, but what I love about the place is the same thing. The, you know, the um, cultural diversity you have here. You said like some countries that didn't know existed. I remember reading some pieces about people who live here from countries that don't exist anymore. Oh, people yeah. who like moved but here and then their country got... not so uncommon nowadays with what has happened the last 20 years. No. With what has happened the last 20 years. I mean, but that's also to show you how immigration is really so normal because borders change. And I mean, in our lifetimes, Europe has been to 
totally reshuffled in a way, right? And even in Asia, there are cases. Now, Taiwan, I heard again how they're really moving more forward with uh, being separate from China, more officially. Mm-hmm. So things change. So if you start thinking like that, then the idea of borders and holding people becomes a little trivial. Right, and it's it's America. I mean, we have. Imagine if we started enforcing the state borders. Imagine oh. if we enforced the Mason Dixon line. Oh, and I had like, to oh. freaking show my passport every time I went to Jersey. You know, uh, yeah. I would fucking flip out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I want to talk about one one more thing here. There's there's been there has been like a substantial increase in the amount of violence that's happened as refugees and things have have spread across Europe and in America. How how do we tackle that, but also still maintain like a positive outlook on the uh, immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers that are coming to not just our country but to other countries around the world? So you're saying world. there's an increase of violence from immigrants? Yeah, not not just immigrants. Like immigrants, when we talk about immigrants. That's like a like a like a legal term almost, right? There's like yeah. immigrants, and there's refugees, and then there's like asylum seekers, right? And yeah. then so you know, for example. The Zarnaev father was an asylum seeker, and that's how his kids were able to stay into America, right? Yeah. So that's one example, right, that happened here. In Europe, Amber, you brought this up earlier, right? I mean, there's in Sweden, there's been violence. In Germany, I know there was a thing on New Year's that happened. Oh, my God. Hundreds of women were attacked. You know what I think? I think that if you let in immigrants, there's going to be violence. If you don't let them in, there's going to be violence. No, People are fucking violent. No, this, they're coming from a place that's much more violent, and they're coming from a place where women are treated like property. I think you're completely right, because what really beh- what's really behind it, I think, is the clash of cultures. Yeah. And it's easy to say my culture is better than your culture, but if you want to be like fair, you just see it as a battle of cultures in a way. And talking about global citizenship, which I also agree like Ragnog that that's where we're heading perhaps this is just the ripples of just coming to terms with our differences Mm -hmm. it's sad and we should like our politicians and our leaders should make sure that these ripples are as less felt as possible that's my personal opinion and where that's where I hold them responsible for the situation but it's unfortunate that this perhaps has to happen not not in a bad way, you know, but, you know, it's a little clash. It's a little, you know, coming to terms, you know, you have this, I have that. How can we find a way to communicate? Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, and it's a difficult thing to do. And I think in general in this country, I know we have uh, an empathy issue. And I think I'm sure around the world, in governments especially, empathy is something that is not legislated. It's not a law to be empathetic to people. Show it's a little a, class. Yeah, it's a human <laughs> yeah. trait that you learn from your parents and your friends. And yeah. that's something I, th- I hope this show does for people is like, you know, express some empathy to others. All right, well, Ragnar, Nikki, we're out of time. But, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. You're so very smart people, and I'm glad you're with us in our country. And uh, we're very lucky to have you. Ragnar is uh, Ragnar Eggleson. 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 How do you uh, you want people to find you? Um, Do you have a Twitter or something? What's your home address? I think on Twitter I'm (laughs) Ragnar E. Do you use it? Yeah, I use it. Cool. Go check out Ragnar and Nikki. At Rodonikia, R-O-D-O-N-I-K-A-I-A. Beautiful. All right, guys, we will be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back to The Brighter Side. I am Cena John. I am with my old sensei, my uh, my Yoda, oh, uh, Maziar Jobrani, uh, famous stand-up comedian from Los Angeles, from, originally from Iran. He is uh, a person that when I started doing comedy, he gave me my first start at the comedy store. And as an older Iranian-American comedian, it was amazing having someone look after me and tell me to 
stop saying all the stupid stuff and say all the funny stuff more often. <laughs> Maz, thank you so much for joining us. So we're talking, we, we did an episode previously on immigration. I was like, oh, we're doing a two-parter. And the first part was on kind of like the d- domestic immigration issues, right? What are the Mexicans doing coming in here, all the uh, from Central America, and how we are dealing with the border and what the political landscape is like. Oddly enough, we, no one talks about Canadian immigration ever, really. Yeah, yeah. they don't care about it. They're, they're white. They don't care about it. So like, they look like us. We don't see any difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the other, speaking nothing- of which, by the way, Canadians really are taking our jobs. They really are. If you look at Hollywood, a lot of the funny comedians are Canadians. That's true. I mean, thanks. He's saying <laughs> this is an build issue. A wall, build it that way. <laughs> yeah, we got to kick the Jim Carries out of the world. I guess right? get them out of here. Yeah. Um, so I, one of the things that we're talking about this week was, you know, there's this idea of immigration, but there's all it's also now been tied into with Islam, and we have a lot of refugees that are now starting to be placed potentially in America. They've been in holding, but there's also a lot of a big refugee situation happening in Europe and all over the world, really. Ever since you know these multiple wars that we keep fighting in the Middle East, I guess. I guess to start from from your perspective as a guy who travels around the world. What are people saying to you about this issue uh, when you're going and performing? What? How do people? Sorry, by the it? way, that was my wife just yelling in the background. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. She has no idea we're recording. Like, ah! This is a very professional show, boss. And by the way, there's a helicopter right above our house in LA chasing somebody. So <laughs> it's maybe it's an, it's an immigrant. It's an immigrant. Just tie it into the show. <laughs> Um, in terms of what um, people are saying around the world, in all honesty, I haven't traveled as much recently out of the country, but I was in um, Jordan and I was in Lebanon where they weren't commenting so much. You know, they're getting, they're getting a lot of the Syrian refugees over there. Yeah. Um, so whereas we're discussing and debating and trying to turn away, I believe the number is something like a thousand refugees or something like that. Um, places like Jordan and Lebanon that are right next door to Syria, they're, I think they're breaking a million or, or maybe even more. There's, there's, there's a lot of refugees from Syria. They had, I know Jordan had refugees from Iraq before because of the war. Uh, I recently heard an, uh, um, a piece on NPR talking about uh, the King of Jordan was saying that we're, we're, get, we're approaching the breaking point where people can't handle this many people into this big of an influx into the country. So I wasn't hearing as much people's um, analysis of what the U.S. is doing as much as a few people when I was in, in Lebanon, they just they were just pointing out how sad it is because we were driving from the airport to my hotel and there was these kids that were probably the same age as my kids, probably five to seven years old, and they're just standing on the side of the street just begging. Yeah. They have nothing. And so it's very sad, and I think their parents probably send them out during the day because the parents also uh, can't work. Uh, a lot of these people show up and they just they, they can't work. They're not allowed to work or, or, or they can't find work. So it's a sad situation, and I don't know what the U.S. is going to do about it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, but I think that the rest of the world is a little bit— uh, you hear people sometimes in America saying, well, the Arab countries aren't carrying their weight. Why aren't they doing their thing? So I guess the question becomes, rather than pointing fingers, why don't we just decide what we're going to do, which is, are we going to help these people or are we not going to help these people? Um, And I think that it messes things up when you commingle the immigrant 
uh, issue with the terrorist issue. Mm -hmm. True, a terrorist could sneak through the borders, but the but the hope is that we have a good enough vetting system uh, for someone to become uh, to to come to this country. Um, and and I guess I would say the bigger issue for us is people that are in this country that are Americans who are possibly um, um, turning their allegiance to ISIS and, and they're homegrown and, and they, I, I would be, I would be just as worried about that as I would be about these poor immigrants trying to come over here and, and try to start a new life. Yeah, I've been saying that for a while. I think the homegrown kind of like remotely radicalized terrorist for me is much more dangerous than, you know, one slipping through the cracks in the in a refugee siege, you know? That that just seems like a much more realistic threat that we should be addressing, which you can't drone strike a kid at his computer in America, you know, getting radicalized by ISIS. You just Yeah, and also you got to think about you also got to think about for so if it's a guy and this is just me thinking about this is the first time really in this in this way but if it's a homegrown kid um who lives in america he probably uh, is a little more um resourceful mm -hmm. he speaks the language he probably knows some people like the like the guy out of uh san bernardino he had his neighbor who was i think a mexican guy who helped him get the guns so this guy is a little more um resourceful when it comes to carrying an attack out whereas if you're an immigrant coming from syria you're sneaking into the country. Maybe you don't even speak the language. How are you going to go about getting the weapons that are needed yeah. to carry out your uh, task? By the way, you're being watched probably by immigration because you've immigrated here, and you probably have to report to somebody in some fashion. So really, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. And then, and then the, the things that some of these Republican candidates are saying are just ludicrous. The fact of saying, let's just let the Christians in. Well, good job, jackass. The, the, the guy just has to wear a cross and he comes in. That's so I, I kind of want to get your experience of – this is such a hot topic now, but you came from Iran to this country. And how has the conversation changed from when you start when you came to this country to what it's like today? No, the, the conversation right now for Iranians right now, Iranians are very upset because once the – Terror attacks happened in France, and then the one that happened in San Bernardino, there was a law that was passed um, uh, that has been uh, that has that, that that indicates that that dictates that I, I believe it's 38 countries, people from 38 different countries. If you have either traveled to those countries, if you're so if, if you're a citizen of another country, not American, but you're another citizen of of a European country. If you've traveled to any of these 38 countries that are indicated, or if you're recognized as a dual citizen of that country, then when you want to come to the U.S., you have to get a separate visa. Mm -hmm. um, it's called HR 158, I believe, and yeah. it was called the Visa Waiver Bill, which was in the past, if you are a citizen of England or Sweden or Spain or wherever, if you come to America, you can come to the U.S. without a visa, I believe, for a month or something. Mm -hmm. Well, now they've passed this law that says, so if you were a Spanish citizen that was, let's say, a dual citizen of Spain and maybe Saudi Arabia or Pakistan, it's fine for you to travel still without an extra visa. But if you're a dual citizen of, let's say, Spain and Iran— then you need to go get that visa. So it makes Iranians um, second-class citizens in a way. And if you look at the history, Iranians have never been involved in any of these terror attacks. And yet now the Iranians are being discriminated against. And then the way it's going to affect 
people in America is that a lot of these European countries have a reciprocity bill mm -hmm. that they will pass. That means, for example, I, I travel to Europe all the time with my American passport. I haven't been to Iran in almost 20 years. I believe that I've, I've criticized the, the leadership. So I feel that if I were to um, travel to Iran, I'd be in trouble. So I don't even have any plans to go to Iran. But just because my passport says born in Iran, my American passport says born in Iran, that means eventually or in the near future, it could be very possible that the next time I go to Europe, I'll have to go to all these different embassies and get visas to travel, and I'll be treated almost as if I have some sort of uh, suspicious background, uh, but I can be more American than, than a lot of these other people that, that aren't being discriminated against. So it's interesting how the politics play into it. And, and uh, a lot of people are breaking it down, saying that part of the reason that this bill was passed was... Well, Iran is, is, is part of that 38 countries that includes Iraq and Syria. Um, and you can make an argument for Syria and Iraq because you go, okay, they're war-torn and there have been terrorists from those places. But again, when you go to Iran, you, you say there has not been an Iranian terrorist, terrorist act uh, in the U.S. But still, the, the, um, the, the reason Iran is part of that bill is because Iran is still recognized or still on the list of... Um, countries that, that is a state sponsor of terrorism yeah. because of their support of, I believe, Hezbollah and probably Hamas. Yep. So the, the reason they're saying that one, of the, one of the reasons that Iran was in this was because the new Iran nuclear deal that happened that was a step forward for diplomacy was opposed by a lot of conservatives in Congress. Mm -hmm. So this bill pushes back on Iran again and the diplomacy that happened uh, between Iran and America, and um, the administration even supports it. So Iranians right now are trying to um, rally and and have their voices heard to say, repeal this bill. And it reminds me of a, sh a show we did a long time ago where I was still in my 20s and still struggling with my own kind of racial identity and who I am. And I remember when I first started out, you got me, you were one of the people that helped me stop saying Persian and start saying Iranian-American. And yeah. then from there, I was just like, well, when people would call me Arab, I would get frustrated because I didn't really know. And I would get angry. And I did a show where I made a terrible joke. And you kind of came on stage and it was I was pointing out the differences between us and Arabs and stuff. And the joke fell flat really badly. And I'll never forget this because you came out and you said something really true and really accurate. It was really funny. And it was like, at the end of the day, we can call each other differences between Iranians and Arabs and, and the Turkish people and all these other things. But at the end of the day, we all got a target on our back. Yeah. And that's and that's what is so troubling to me now. I mean, it, it all just like whenever someone calls me some other race or culture, right, it just kind of washes over me now. I guess age helps with that a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm. it's just so amazing how our leaders keep mongering this fear constantly with legislation. And it just perpetuates more of the recruitment and more of this kind of uh, negative feelings toward toward everyone. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, I, I've been saying on stage recently that if you watch too much American news, especially Fox News, you think the world is out to get you. Yeah. Um, where, whereas in reality, if you travel to these countries, I've, I've had Americans that came up to me and said, listen, I went to Iran just as part of a tour group, and um, they were so welcoming. Anthony Bourdain did a great part yeah. on one recently. He even said, he said the Iranians were some of the most hospitable people I'd ever met. So... It, the reality is very different than what you're fed, and unfortunately, the reality makes you lock the door and not want to leave your country. The reality wants you to stop. You start by saying, let's stop the Syrians, 
then let's stop the Iraqis and the Iranians, and it just goes down, it just trickles down, because you feel that your problems are caused by other people. In reality, the problems are, a lot of them are homegrown problems, and I'm not just talking about terrorist, the, the uh, terrorist activity, I'm also talking about the gun issue in this country and the, and the accessibility to guns. And, and I don't know what the answer is. I know that people are very adamant and very passionate about their guns in this country. But imagine in a, in, a, in a fantasy world, if you could really have no guns in this country, well, the chances of a terrorist coming and doing a, an attack like they did in San Bernardino would be zero because they couldn't get those guns. Um, or if it, we lived in a society where someone who uh, orders 3,000 rounds of ammunition online yeah. really gets flagged and watched like yeah. the guy did in Aurora. Was it 3,000, 6,000? I forget what it was. Yeah. But that's just, that's the problem is the problems, a lot of the problems are within, but it's easier to blame the people outside. Yeah. I, I've been saying for a while that I'm against generally the Second Amendment as it is today. I think we should revise it. I'm pro-sword. So if we just had swords all across the country, I think we'd have a classier country. I think it would be all about, you know, martial arts, those kinds of things. Real. Yeah, and maybe, and maybe Zorro could make a comeback. Exactly. He's a, he's a real American hero. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, okay, so let's, I mean, the show is, is called The Brighter Side. So we take these dark topics, and I know this is a tough one to find the brighter side for, but you talk to a lot of people. You're kind of on the front lines of forwarding this conversation in America today. Sp speak to me about the brighter side and what do we what can we look forward to what what do you think we can get to eventually if we keep talking about this and keep being positive about it i mean one of the good things that comes from all of this stuff is that people talk about it if uh, if you could look for a bright side of the bush administration attacking iraq you could say that it helped americans figure out where Iraq is and what Iraq is. <laughs> they say they say that Americans learn geography by going to war with these countries. Oh, man. And, um, and so I think that the fact that we know about these places now is a good thing, um, that is part of the conversation is a good thing. And I think the only way that uh, people can be um, uh, uh, swayed and persuaded to maybe see the other side of it is either meeting somebody from these backgrounds um, or traveling to these countries. And I don't know when and how that will happen, but I do feel that by, let's say somebody stumbles upon uh, a clip online or, or on TV of you having a discussion with Megan McCain or whoever you're talking with, well, they may be hardcore against the immigrants, but hearing you speak and realizing that you were, uh, you're Iranian, your parents are immigrants, they might think about that and make them think twice and go, oh, maybe I should really reassess. I've had people email me before and say, from watching the stand-up comedy that me and other uh, comedians from these backgrounds do, it's helped them realize that we're human, like they are. Um, we're not the evil uh, um, terrorists, uh, executioners that they see on in American films and television. Um, so... I think there's hope. I think that there's a generation of, of young people from that part of the world who, who are um, be getting involved in film and television and, and, and podcasting, whatever it is, but, but putting a different conversation out. And I think that, I've, I, again, I've gotten emails saying that people have seen and stumbled upon something and, and it's helped them see 
their uh, their conservative views, change their conservative views, and see it in a different light. So I guess what I'm hearing there is if you could if you could speak to someone that is afraid of uh, a Muslim or afraid of anyone from the Middle East, you'd kind of just want to engage them, right? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Engage them, but also encourage them to open their mind a little bit and not be afraid to talk to a neighbor or a or a mechanic or a doctor or whoever is from that part of the world and, and then realize that that doctor or mechanic wants just what you want, which is they want to be able to make money, to be able to put bread on the table uh, and be able to uh, live a good life. And they're not out to kill you. And that's what I said about San Bernardino. The neighbors of those of the, the killers from San Bernardino, they were noticing suspicious stuff going on all the time. But they said they, would, they wouldn't want to offend and go over there and do anything or call the police. I always say... Why you go over there and say hello? They're your neighbors. Who doesn't go say hello to their neighbors, especially when they yeah. see something weird happening? No, yeah, go over there, knock the knock on the door, see what's up, and uh, and then if it ain't cool, then uh, then uh, make a call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bring some cupcakes over if they're like, no, we don't like cupcakes. We don't eat the cupcake. <laughs> then you're like, okay, well then there's a serious problem. Then you here. try carrot cake, and if they don't like carrot cake, then now 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 you call Homeland Security. <laughs> <laughs> Maz Jobrani, thank you so much for joining us, man. That was so great. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, and I'm happy that you're uh, doing this. I uh, hope to see you again soon, man. Absolutely. And is there any shows you want to plug coming up? This episode will come out this week. Um, shows? I'm just touring a lot, so people can go to mazjobrani.com or follow me on Twitter at mazjobrani, Instagram at mazjobrani, Facebook slash mazjobrani. I got the whole mazjobrani market <laughs> you have a lot uh, down, cornered. <laughs> everybody how you doing brighter side is back again we are fucking taking this point and we are drilling it into the fucking ground (laughs) yes but not forcefully oh got it we're asking yeah yeah, yeah, we're asking full consensual force and uh joining us right now is uh (laughs) one of my very very good friends mr danny bedrosian of p-funk of secret army of his own fame how you doing pal I'm well. I'm well. I'm glad to be here. Fuck yeah, you, you busy piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Now, Danny, uh, other than being in, uh, in, in P-Funk and an international musician, you also are a fucking historian on Middle Eastern studies, correct? That's right. Yes, that's what I have my my degree in. Is I'm a, I'm a degree-holding historian of Middle Eastern studies. Jesus. And being of, of Armenian extraction, Middle East seemed like the right, <laughs> the right region to focus in on when I went to college. So that was, that was what I went to school for. It's so crazy to me that you would just yeah. choose to deal with that every day. But uh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, now, excuse you're gonna have to excuse my ignorance on uh, multiple uh, questions, but you've been doing that for years. Uh, I love it. The <laughs> now Armenia. What's the um, what's the major religion in Armenia? So, like ninety nine point something percent of the Armenians belong to the National Church. It's the Armenian Apostolic Church, and it is uh, apostolic, meaning that I guess original apostles were the ones who brought it the religion to Armenia there a very very long time ago, and it ha- it ha- holds the distinction of being the first. Christian nation in existence. So the first nation to convert to Christianity. Um, that being said, it's a pretty um, like dogmatic version, at least according to the, the established versions of Christianity. The Armenian Church, as well as a bunch of other 
older churches like the Ethiopian church, the Egyptian Coptic church, mostly the Middle Eastern and East African churches were all named, um, what do they call it? You know, named, uh, you know, uh, they were, it was like apostasy. They were bad because right. they didn't mix their wine with water. They mm-hmm. believed in the nature of Christ in a different way. So they're considered um, monophysite, which means they believe in one nature of Christ, which is considered really bad to the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholic churches. So because of that and that sort of ostracization by the Western church, um, the Armenian church as well as the other Middle Eastern churches have developed a very separate identity, one that goes back a long time before the Europeans became Christian. So and it's one of those older older um, versions of Christianity. And if uh, you can remember, this was represented in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. No. Oh, uh, right after oh the, yeah, right. Those guys were Armenian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys who were, who were mad that he was digging in the French tunnels. There was a, my soul's yeah. prepared. How's yours? Those guys, ready yeah, to die. Yeah, he's Armenian, yeah. <laughs> Danny, uh, side question for you. Do you get excited when you hear Armenian and spoken in movies? It's it's very rare when I do, but yeah, I do. I do get excited. For me, I it's, always... it's funny though. When I do, it's just like sometimes Armenian is used just as like a psychobabble language. Like they used pieces of Armenian in Borat when they were doing the Kazakh, trying to talk in like fake Kazakh. There's like a ton of Armenian mixed up in there, and like Polish and. Just a bunch of crazy different languages all mixed up into one. But, yeah, no, I do get excited because it's very rare and it's a very sort of unique language. You don't really hear it often. How much was used in the new Star Wars? (laughs) Nice. I can't speak speak on it, and I'll tell you why. I've attempted to go see it three times, and I still haven't seen it. What happened? It just got sold out? I sold out every time I go. Oh and then one time I went with the wife, and it was the whole, there's one seat in the front, there's one seat in the back type thing. Oh, Fuck all that shit. That's, that's grounds for a divorce. All right. Well, yeah, let's... I looked at her with the shrugging shoulders like, huh? Sorry. You can tell which one is the Star Wars fan and which one is there for their <laughs> significant other. She looked at me with the rolling eyes. I looked at her with the shrugging shoulders, and it was like, next thing I knew, we were at home. <laughs> All right, so let's transition to this immigration issue now. Now, um, culturally, you probably know a little bit about just the immigration stuff because the Armenians had to be refugees in their own right after the genocide. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. And so they they went to all over the world. I think a lot of them went to Iran. I know my dad always looks to tell me how good the Armenian people are and how wonderful it was yeah. that Iran took them in. And they're like, we are good friends yeah, with very, the Armenians. That's <laughs> true. There was a lot of Armenians in Iran already, though, because since Iran is Armenia's neighbor to the south, there was always a long-standing relationship with the two countries. They were allies for a lot of years, and then they were both part of other people's constituent empires. For a lot of years, so so there were Armenians in Iran all the way back to the days of like Cyrus the Great and all that stuff, like back in the BC days, yeah. you know. Um, but yes, a ton of Armenians did go uh, seek refuge in Iran after the genocide. Many sought refuge in what is now the Armenian Republic, which was the Russian-occupied territory, um, you know, then Soviet-occupied. And a lot of them went to Europe, and a lot went to other parts of the Middle East, like Syria and Lebanon and Iraq, and a lot of them went to America. Uh, my family went to the Arab-speaking world first, and then France, and then the U.S. But I have family all over the world in the diaspora, like all over the place. You're a prince or something, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I had my DNA tested. And, you know, my family just – we were just old Armenian farmers from 
from what is now Eastern Turkey. And just, you know, as mm. far as we were concerned, just poor farmers living like, you know, semi-slave status in the Ottoman Empire. We didn't think there was anything like that. But I took my DNA test and um, found out that I'm a direct descendant to the Orbelian dynasty, which was the last, like, big dynasty of Armenia. <laughs> and they also ruled the kingdom of Georgia, too, to the north, the, the country Georgia. And... Um, and they were princes and governors, and some were kings, and some were emperors of other nations, and they were warriors and aristocrats and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so, so I'm really an Orbelian, and somebody changed the name to Bedrosian probably to protect them from the Turks that were trying to kill all the royal families. So they Damn. hid as peasants, and then after a few generations, they became Life, life isn't crazy, as exciting you know, yeah. anymore. Yeah. It just isn't, isn't as cool as it used to be. Well, there's still a respect for that, you were telling me. You were playing in Georgia with P-Funk recently, and people were treating you like yes. a prince. It was amazing. Yeah, because the Orbelians, when they fled from the Byzantine territory to Georgia during the, I guess it was the Arab invasion, maybe was, I think it was the Turkish invasions, actually, um, they uh, uh, a lot of the princes, a lot of Armenian princes became dynasts in Georgia and ended up ruling lands in Georgia. And that's pretty common. You'll see that pretty often where like the neighboring country has a bunch of Kings that end up ruling in the country next door or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, they ended up ruling in Georgia for 300 years. So I learned how to say in Georgian, uh, in the Georgian language, Kartvelian in their language, um, you know, hello, thank you so much for being, you know, hospitable, and I want to let you know that I, I descend from the Orbeliani kings that used to rule here, and thank you for treating this homecoming for me with so much, you know, grace and love and gratitude. I have so much gratitude for you, and then da da da. And I got to announce this in the middle of the um, <laughs> the festival that we played. It was a really big jazz <laughs> festival in Georgia. I love and it. And the crowd just went nuts when I was speaking <laughs> in Georgia. And afterwards, a lot of the Georgian kids thought I was Georgian because they said my pronunciation was so good. It was like, nice. <laughs> um, like a national hero right now. The people were so cool. That's amazing, buddy. So let, let's awesome. let's talk about what's going on right now with this uh, with with all these the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, as someone who's very stooped in the history of this, uh, how do you, uh, where do you stand on it? Do you think we should, uh, be letting them in? Uh, how should we be letting them in? Uh, let's get down to it. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I think just, you know, due to my, my history and my culture in general, um, you know, setting religion completely to the side, I would say just coming from the middle East and having to deal with this in the past my family had a lot of trouble. I know that there was a period when my great grandfather, they were trying to settle in, in the UK and the UK wasn't letting the Armenians in because we weren't considered desirable enough. And then the United States did let in Armenians just like France did, but they only let in a certain amount every year. Yeah. So and only to LA. there was a quota of Armenians, <laughs> especially Armenians coming from the Ottoman empire, which meant we were like a little bit shabbier like mm -hmm. a little bit more refugee-ish, a little more emaciated. So there was a there was a like a quota or like a limit of Armenians that they allowed into the United States back in the 20s and 30s. So the reason why my family didn't end up coming to the U.S. until the end of the 30s is because every year the U.S. immigration law was so strict that it was just kind of like, no, nah, you're not quite, not American yet enough. Which is funny because Armenians are so, we like assimilate into whatever culture we go to. Like, it's like, 
Next thing you know, the people that, you know, the neighbors are making our food and we're, you know, speaking their language and all that kind of stuff. Well, the most famous Um, uh, American right now is Kim Kardashian. Exactly. I mean, and, and, and there's, it's, you know, it's, it's permeated into, you know, world culture in that way through, through the fame of, you know, the reality world of America as we know it. Mm -hmm. But Armenians in general, it seems like within a generation, they assimilate really quick. They tried to educate themselves really well once they came to America because they knew that was like part of the problem. The old country was not being educated enough to know what was happening, you know, as it was happening. So to get back to the immigration side of it, I would say that I am vehemently for um, allowing Syrian and Iraqi um, refugees, as well as refugees from places like Nigeria, which have been... um, uh, both Muslim and Christian refugees who have been like who have been so victimized by groups like Boko Haram and, and nobody yeah, ever really talked about point. that. And we haven't made that point yet. That's I think that's really great to bring up. And I, I'll tell you what, I was yeah. just recently in South Africa, and boy oh boy, do they fucking hate Nigerians. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah. it is pretty. It's pretty crazy out there. You They're can, like the Polish of Africa. I mean, people like the Polish. What are you talking uh, about? Is that? I'm sorry. <laughs> They got schools in Nigeria. Don't talk to them. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, and uh, it's you know, but it also comes from a violent culture, and uh, and there, the crime yeah. is rising in places where they are uh, where they are taking in refugees, uh, such as sure. uh, Germany and Sweden and stuff like that. Uh, yes, and the the Armenian people. Uh, you know, at the risk of sounding uh, unintelligent, are a very artistic society. Uh, they believe, yes. they, you know, they they're kind of forward thinkers and and uh, yes. stuff like that. And then the the Syrians and the Muslim Islam culture, in my opinion, is a little bit backwards thinking. It's still living uh, thousands of years in the past with uh, the way they treat each other. Do you think that the Syrians will be able to assimilate themselves in a society like the Armenians have? Are we going to well, have sure, the Kim Kardashian in Syria? It's an awful question, and and the reason why I say so is because you said awful the Syrian question? question as we know it is something that's lived for a long, t- a lot longer than I think many Americans realize. I grew up in a neighborhood and in an area in Massachusetts that had large portions of Armenians, Syrians, and Lebanese. Okay, and um, the Syrians and the Lebanese are a mixed bag of religions and cultures. In Syria alone, for instance, because Syria is just south of where my people are from, mm-hmm. you have a ton of Armenians in Syria, a ton of Chaldeans, Assyrians, Kurds, Druzes, um, you have Shiite Alawites, you have Shiite Arabs, you have Sunni Kurds, you have Sunni Arabs who are the majority, and you have some other smaller groups as well, like Ismailis and others. and. So Syria really is a huge melting pot with a culture older than any other Arab-speaking culture because they were forced to speak Arabic during the, the colonization of Syria by the Arabs. So you have to understand Syria is possibly the oldest country in the world still around. And I know that's a, that's a hell of a claim, but it's, it's probably true. And then with that in mind, you have to remember that some of the, the, the most forward-thinking civilizations in our culture and some of the first, you know, some of the first civilizations have come from places that are now part of what is modern Syria. But to get to your point about the problem of Islam, I think the the main problem of Islam, speaking as an outsider, but someone who studied it for many years, their main problem is modernity. And 
and I need the definition for that word. I'm no, you have a culture that is trying to, update to the, update understand the and get over how to evolve in its religion without changing orthodox values and without changing um, the values of their written word. And I think it's a very challenging thing to get over when you live in a society where governments may be extremely theocratic or even totalitarian, and then you have armed groups that don't really adhere to any government that believe in extremely fascist ideals leading to slavery and genocide and all these things that religion shouldn't stand for. No pious person of any religion really truly believes in. So I think that this issue of modernity is one that, and, and to, to risk sounding too much like a, a neutral politician, it is something that the Muslim world itself has to deal with. That being said, you can't just leave people to their own devices necessarily. Everybody has to work together in this world to make to make things happen. However, I think like with the issue of Syrian refugees, when we talk about the United States, the U.S. has an extremely hostile attitude towards the Syrian refugees and Iraqi refugees, when in fact most of the people who are coming over, refugees from these countries, are not refugees who are um, from the armed groups that are making the place as hostile as it is. Many of them, first of all, are minority groups that have been hated on by both the government and the rebels and the, you know, the, the terrorists and all the groups. Most of the people from Iraq that left Iraq since the American invasion were minorities. So before we blanket the entire group as being possibly questionable, you also have to remember there's as many, not as many, but there's many non-Muslim groups that, and Muslim groups, and, and they all have to be thrown together because they're refugee camps. They're all in there together. You have Shiites and Sunnis that are in there together, even though the media wants to tell us that all Sunnis and all Shiites hate each other. You'll see a refugee camp in Syria with Sunni Kurds and Armenians and Shiite, Alawite Arabs, and they'll all be in there together. You know what I mean? So we have to remember there are huge groups of people, many different types of people. But then looking at the European situation, you know, an American would argue Europe is harder to assimilate its Muslim immigrants than America is. Most Muslims who come to America tend to assimilate quicker. I think there's some truth to that. You look at what happened in Cologne. There has to be, there has to be some, some um, answers for some of the terrible things that have happened among yeah. some groups of people that were, yes, immigrants from Muslim countries, like the rape of all these women in Cologne on New Year's Eve in Germany. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the Europeans maybe are a little too soft on who they let in and how they do background checks or maybe just Merkel's Germany because you know I would think that a woman president would have more compassion for women's rights and at least speak out more about the horrors that happened in her country I know it's not really her fault but you know she's one of the most powerful leaders of one of the richest nations in the world yeah and one that has a history problem with fascism you think that they would speak out more than most about the problems of fascism and, and hatred in their own country, even if it comes from a minority group, which is scrutinized. But nothing. So there are two sides to this that are important. Danny, this is like a bukkake of truth, and I, I, love, <laughs> I love showering in it, and I want to be drenched in it. You basically summed up the whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Tell me, what's the brighter side, Danny? How can we move forward? What's, what's the, what can we look forward to? I think I think the thing we can look forward to is is as I put it, the real situation on the ground. And and what I mean by that is, 
on the ground anywhere, politically speaking or, or just socially speaking, human beings are, are, are intermingling and working together. And, and if you talk to people from the Middle East, from just about any background, you'll see that they actually have much more in common than, the, than they have um, dissimilar from each other. And I think that at the end of the day, minus governments, minus the media, minus the the scrutiny of modernity and the history of these peoples, they, they all end up actually loving each other in this weird kind of way. And they've lived together for so long. I think if you left it up to people, the people who are actually from these places and not outsiders, outsiders that are Muslim, outsiders that are Western, both, um, you see people that are, are pretty much the same. Yeah. You know, they look the same, they act the same and, and you put them together and then they actually love each other. They don't hate each other. So I think that's the brighter side. Well, I'll tell you what, what, Danny, as usual, you are a fucking breath of fresh air. Amazing. And, uh, (laughs) covered in your truth. Come. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it today. Fucking Danny's the smartest dude. I know it's so, so brilliant. The way he can eloquently put things really drives me insane. Please go ahead and help out however you can. Uh, Depending on where you are, there are a lot of these immigrant shelters in your cities. If you can even donate just a little bit of food or a little bit of time, uh, these people need all the help that they can get. Uh, I'm going to keep doing it, and um, hopefully I'll see you guys there. If you live in Austin especially, go help out those guys there. They got a beautiful thing going on over there. Um, So taking us out today is one of my favorite Mexican songs, Canción del Mariachi by Los Lobos. You guys need to live your life. It's a classic. You gotta love it. Dance. You don't want these people around? All parties would be worse without Latinos. All right, guys. Be good to yourself. This has been The Brighter Side. Amen. Kisses to all of you. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.